how is your understanding of the different state governments? What do you what do you really know about secretaries of state? How do states look at innovation today? Well, look, if you want to know, you're in the right place. Welcome to our Wednesday live event called Innovation and Audio. Today, right now, in just a few minutes, our guest is the Alabama Secretary of State, John Merrill. Now, listen, before we get started with John, I want to share about our upcoming guest to the Encouragers, the radio rally here on the Clubhouse app. Monday, January 10th, Molly Kendricks is going to be with us. Now, Molly is the social media captain for CHR and Hot AC Radio at Odyssey. She is going to be with us on that event. We're going to learn an awful lot about social media media and you'll want to be here for that don't forget that next wednesday on the encouragers innovation and audio we have a really special guest wednesday january 12 2022 uh natasha roy Pope is going to be with us, and she is not only a speaker, but somebody who's highly involved in tech and a thought and business leader that you will want to catch up with what her story is and how she feels about innovation and what she's up to. I'm going to give you a heads up right now to connect with the people that you see on the stage tonight. Look around the room, connect with others here. We want you to have the opportunity to mix it up with people who believe in innovation at all levels. Engagement in and encouragement is our purpose here on the encouragers. Networking is a big part of that, and we always want to encourage you to network regularly. We're very fortunate today to have the Alabama Secretary of State, John Merrill, with us right now. John is a uh, you know, he has this deep variety of experiences, I kid you not, including but not limited to working for a publishing company, working as the assistant director of the Tuscaloosa County Industrial Development Authority. He, he worked for the Chamber of Commerce of West Alabama. He also was the Tuscaloosa County GOP immediate past chairman and director of community relations and community education of the Tuscaloosa County Schools, as well as the representative for House District 62 and a business development officer with the First Federal Bank. All of this before becoming the Alabama Secretary of State in office uh, that he has held since 2014. John, please welcome to the Encouragers in Innovation and Audio. Uh, you know, just buzzing your resume is intimidating. How are you, sir? Oh, very, very kind introduction. You read that just the way my mother wrote it. I know that nice. meant a lot to her. Oh, nice, nice. You do it okay? I, look, I, yes, sir, and I'm excited to be with you all tonight. Thank you so much for hosting me and allowing me to be a part of the program and to share a little bit about the Office of the Secretary of State in Alabama, some of our accomplishments, some of the things that we hope to do, and some of the things that we have done in leading the nation in election integrity, transparency, and accountability. Right. So, listen, I'm going to start here. Since there is this little rolling football team, <clears throat> You might know about them. They're playing for the national championship on Monday. I thought I might give you a chance to tell us where you went to college yourself and what you studied. Well, once again, you're very kind. I had the privilege to attend the University of Alabama from 1982 until 1987. I studied political science and history at the university and was involved in the Student Government Association as a two-term student senator as vice president of the student body and then as president of the student body in 1986-1987. So Alabama Crimson Tide blood runs deep in my veins, and we try to attend as many athletic events as we possibly can. We have season tickets to Alabama football, Alabama men's basketball, Alabama women's basketball, Alabama baseball, Alabama women's softball, and Alabama gymnastics. The only thing we so don't you have stuck on that Alabama thing. Well, the only <laughs> thing we don't have them too is volleyball. We just can't do everything. That's right. All right. So look, right there. Okay, that's our first little snapshot. Given your course of study in college, it seems to me that you knew something about your future. Did you know in college that you wanted to have a job like Alabama Secretary of State? Well, actually, from the time I first remember anyone asking me what I wanted to be when I grew up, which was around five years old, I expressed my interest in public service. My father had been the circuit clerk and probate judge in my county for the first 18 years of my life, 
and my mom had been a public school teacher. And so I kind of grew up in that environment of serving others and in being involved in, in that type uh, setting. I will tell you the first time that I ever thought about being the Secretary of State was when I was 14 years old, and that's when I began my path to becoming Alabama Secretary of State. And I decided then that I needed to make sure I was preparing myself in my studies as well as my work uh, to put me in a position for the people to be able to consider me as their secretary when the time was appropriate. This is fascinating that you knew it so early that this is something that you really craved and wanted. You know, I did discover in my research about you, your dad's history as the circuit clerk and as the probate judge. And I thought, you know what, this this kind of thing runs in families. You know, you see it in your family. So that really influenced you toward politics, his involvement, right? Absolutely, because I grew up in the courthouse uh, when I would leave kindergarten. Uh, Every day at noon, I would go to the courthouse and stay there for half an hour before it was time for daddy to take me to the babysitter in the afternoon. So many days I would go in the courtroom and I would sit and listen to the uh, lawyers debate and present their cases and for the judges to make rulings. And I got to know each one of those individuals personally and got to watch our government at work in the judicial system specifically. It's really interesting. And listen, I I always like to go back with our guests to the beginning. I don't know how much time you and I will spend on this, but I never do when I ask questions like this. One of your first jobs was working in publishing. What did that teach you? Well, look, it taught me how to take rejection because (laughs) as if I had not been denied uh, enough dates from the young ladies that I tried to go out with, one of the things that you find very quickly is how easy it is for people to say no when you're trying to sell advertising to them. And it also taught me perseverance, because one of the things that I committed myself to doing was understanding that every call that I made was putting me one step closer to the next yes. And so I needed to continue to move forward and make sure I was properly prepared as I was trying to present what I was trying to do to those individuals with whom I made contact each and every day as an account executive at Randall Publishing Company. Boy, I tell you what, I don't think people quite get it. I always say about politicians, especially on the on the local level and on the state level, for sure, that people don't know how much rejection there is involved in politics. It's a lot, right? No doubt about it. And the thing that you have to understand is that you can't take it personally because it's oftentimes those individuals are not rejecting you as an individual, whereas they may be rejecting that policy, that procedure, or that particular opportunity that had presented itself. And that's one of the main problems we have with politics today is whenever someone fails to accept the line of reasoning that a person is offering, individuals tend to take it personally and they tend to take it out on those individuals. What you have to understand, especially when you're a member of a legislative body, whether it be a state legislature, a state Senate, uh, the U.S. Congress or the United States Senate is the person that is not helping you or not supportive of what you're attempting to do today may be the vote that you require in order to advance your concern tomorrow. And so you have to make sure you're not burning those bridges as you move forward. Because you're going to need them. All right. Now, this is what's really interesting to me. We're going to tip over into innovation for a minute, actually, probably for the rest of this interview. But but look, in 1990, you went to work at, at, at the Tuscaloosa County Industrial Development Authority. What do they do at the Tuscaloosa County Industrial Development Authority for those who don't know this kind of work? Well, from October the 1st, 1990 to November the 15th, 1993, I was the assistant director for the Tuscaloosa County Industrial Development Authority. My job was primarily to work with existing industry and business and to make sure they had the tools that were necessary in order for them to grow and expand as they offer jobs to the people that live in our community. And we were able to do that very successfully. Uh, That was my primary area of concentration, but I also assisted with the recruitment of new industry. And the largest project that we were able to secure while I was working there was the Mercedes Project, which was the largest economic investment in the history of the state of Alabama at that time. These things are incredibly big deals. And, and, you know, John, uh, I've been involved in some things in different places like Charlotte, North Carolina and Greenville, South Carolina. And I, I have I have. 
I guess, had some proximity to different things where people are, are working on innovation and they're working on bringing industry into their community. And you, you see this. I'm, I am what I call a deep fried Southerner. <laughs> okay. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm, I'm originally from the great state of Louisiana. Go LSU. I know I shouldn't say that on this with you, but I'm just putting it out there. Uh, you're okay this year on having LSU talk, I'm sure. But let me just say to you that, you know, I see a lot of towns in, in my South who don't have the kind of lobbying efforts to bring those things to communities, it's very meaningful when you do, isn't it? No doubt about it, because it can change the paradigm of the future, not just for economic development, but for education, for quality of life issues, for all the things that are necessary to make a community whole and to make a community all it can possibly be. Well, and look, you're changing the lives of people in the communities in, in Alabama. You're doing that uh, and have been doing it for a long time, John. You know that must... about it because we were investing in the community through those new jobs and through that economic investment opportunity that allowed those people to improve their quality of life at a personal level by taking a new position with a brand new company and overall improving the entire quality of life, not just for Tuscaloosa or Tuscaloosa County, but all of West Alabama and then Alabama as a whole. Well, and look, it's not guaranteed. You have to you have to go and attract these people and you are up against other communities that have resources and have teams of people that are working to attract them to their communities, right? And their states. No doubt about it. And you have to look at it that way because the lines are not geographic boundaries, but they're imaginary lines that can often separate exactly where you are with another neighboring community. And when you're able to do that and realize that everybody is attempting to work together for the good, that causes a benefit for everyone involved. You know, uh, it's not that people get to talk to a secretary of state very often, and we're very honored to do that on this live broadcast and our podcast. You must have been really excited about job creation and being aggressive with bringing innovators to this part of Alabama. Is this something that's always interested you, John? Well, it has, because one of the things that I'm committed to doing is working with others to solve problems and to improve the overall quality of life in the area of economic development, as well as education and quality of life issues that are unrelated to those directly. Right, right, right. Listen, in late 1993, you went to work for the Chamber of Commerce of West Alabama. I, I I see you really starting at this point in time and a little bit before, you know, really focused on being pro-business. Did you get good experience working at that Chamber of Commerce? Well, I did. And as the director of business development for the Chamber, I was able to help move our community forward with the work with existing industry and business at the retail and wholesale and service areas, but also in helping those Mercedes families as they relocated from Germany to Tuscaloosa County and West Alabama as we were preparing for the start of the new plant. Yeah, it's, it's such a brand. I mean, that is a global brand that, that you know, it's one of the most famous brands, and here you're going to take it on right here in Tuscaloosa County. Yes, sir. Uh, must have been a little bit intimidating, right? <laughs> you want to get everything perfect. Well, you do, and you have to realize that you're talking about people's livelihoods and the future of a community, not just about new jobs or about getting the uh, kudos for having a successful recruitment operation in your community. Well, you can tell that we're kind of looking at different snapshots of your career as we go. And at this point in your career, you start working as the director of community relations and community education for Tuscaloosa, uh, Tuscaloosa County Schools. Now, that caught me by surprise in your resume, but you essentially were the spokesperson. Is that correct? That is correct. I also coordinated the after-school care program at 24 of our campuses oh, for oh, uh, oh. more than... 2,400 young people and managed more than 250 employees at those campuses. 
Yeah, I was going to say 2,100 employees, 17,600 students, which now it looks like my numbers might be a little bit off, but that's a lot. And and we love learning from our guests in their unique experiences. Did you find, you know, that you learn more about people during this job than the others? Because I would imagine that's a consequence of this kind of job. Well, one of the things that I had to do in that particular position is to work with the public each and every day and to make sure that there were no questions about what needed to be done and to properly educate the community on the things that were happening in the Tuscaloosa County school system. We also had to uh, respond to the negative things that were introduced whenever they happened because you can't ignore those and people cannot believe that you're trying to hide them. So being transparent and being accountable is very important. Absolutely. Now, look, um, you know, you, you were elected in 2010 to represent the 62nd district uh, in, in the Alabama House of Representatives. This wasn't also your first time running, I understand, was running for office. You know, most of us, we get a job, right? We win a job. We go on a job interview. We get the job. We keep the job unless we get fired and we move up in whatever we're doing. Not the same for you. When you get elected, eh, you know, <laughs> was running for office as tough as we all think it is? Well, it's not easy, and it, it, but it varies according to how you choose to do it. You know, one of the things that I did uh, – when I ran for the legislature in 2010, I identified every home in the 62nd district, and I visited every home in the 67th district, uh, whether it be um, a trailer, an apartment complex, or a multi-million dollar home. I went and knocked on their door. I laid, uh, gave literature there. I asked those individuals to support my candidacy so I could be effective as a member of the Alabama legislature. And I knocked on over 12,000 doors when I was moving around the southern and eastern part of Tuscaloosa County. That's a lot of doors. Listen, uh, here's a quote directly about you. Quote, having known John for years, going back to the University of Alabama, I can honestly state that he's a man of honor, integrity, and great influence. I think John can be highly recommended for almost anything he does, whether in his personal or professional life, unquote. You don't get a reputation like that unless you are being very purposeful, as I always say, people first, strategy, and then process and then accomplishment. Clearly, well, that means a lot to me. You're, you're very kind to share that with the other participants on the line tonight. That really means a lot to me that someone would say that. Well, listen, uh, uh, clearly you believe in people first. Can you tell us what you do to go out of your way to give people this feeling about you? And I know that sounds funny to say, but I, I think – I think that you are good at reaching out to people. And I think that's something that we always want to encourage people to learn how to do. Well, one of the things that my parents taught me from the time that I was brought into this world was that every life has value and every individual is important and no individual is more or less important than anyone else. And so they gave me the knowledge that whether I was interacting with a pauper or a king, I needed to treat that individual with respect. And I needed to make sure that they knew that I was giving them my full attention whenever I had the privilege to be with them for whatever purpose that happened to be. And I've been able to carry that with me throughout my life from my time in elementary school up to junior high and high school through the University of Alabama. And now in my work, since I began my career in public service at the different jobs that I've had. And I think it's very important for people to know and to understand and appreciate that you make that investment in their lives to try to help them solve their problems and to make sure that they're doing what they can do to improve their personal quality of life at the same time. Mm -hmm. Listen, let's talk about your current job and innovation in the state of Alabama. You're the Alabama Secretary of State. This is a job that you've held in Alabama since 2014. In this work that you do, you're responsible for a lot of things. I mean, I, I can't believe you started at 14 going, I want this job, <laughs> you know. But, I mean, it must have been incredible to get the job. But here's my question for you. 
um, you know, look, uh, you're responsible for the business services division. Can you tell us how the state of Alabama views innovation and business and business attractants? Absolutely. In, in, in 2022. Just, sure. Yeah. Just a couple of things that I think are important to to your listeners and those that will listen to this broadcast later. Um, a couple of things. Number one, uh, I have been the secretary for six years, 11 months, and 17 days as of today. And the office of the Secretary of State of Alabama is actually the oldest office in the history of the state. Alabama had a Secretary of State before we were a state. In 1818, a man named Henry Hitchcock was appointed by our fifth president, James Monroe, to serve as Alabama's first Secretary of State. And he served ably in that role in 1818 and 1819. But on December 14, 1819, Alabama became the 22nd state admitted to the Union. And since that time, we've had 48 individuals who've served as Alabama's 53 secretaries of state. And I'm the 53rd secretary of state. Our code and constitution give more than 1,000 assigned duties and responsibilities to the person that holds this position. And those include, but are not limited to, the things that we've chosen to concentrate on the most in the time that I've been serving in this capacity. And they are. Elections, which includes election administration, voter registration, campaign finance reform, campaign finance review, all the things related to the elections process. And then business incorporations, licensing, trademarking, all of those things related to business services and job creation. And last but not least, international adoptions. And we've chosen to concentrate on those areas because those areas more than any others directly impact the lives of Alabama families on a daily basis. And we want to be responsive, respectful and accountable to the people of the state of Alabama. Well, listen, John, any of those areas with the power that you have, you could cause problems with attracting business or you could accelerate it, right? That's I mean, correct. Some of, the, and, and, some of and those become, things. And, and, and that is real. That is a key component of our job is to make sure that we are able to respond to those needs of those people and to help them create jobs and create opportunities for our people throughout the state. What's the toughest part of trying to create uh, opportunity for businesses to come to the state of Alabama for you? Well, the, the biggest problem that I have is trying to solve all the problems that we have each and every day in the amount of time that we have. But I think it's easy to solve the problems that business has because you have to put yourself in a position to be a good listener. And if you are a good listener, you will be successful in helping business be able to overcome those issues. Because in doing that, you show them that you're concerned about what's important to them. And, and if you do that, and if you do that, you're able to, um, to meet their needs. And, and that's what it is required by doing that. So, so there's nobody in like when you were in high school. There's nobody that's surprised that you became the Alabama Secretary of State, right? <laughs> I mean, you must have talked about it, right? Well, I did, and that opportunity to interact with um, my fellow students when I was growing up, and and to have them see what my goals and what my ambitions were. Um, was made clear by the directed choices that I made to try to put myself in a position to be successful in the future. That's right. Well, listen, as Alabama Secretary of State, or just as a private citizen who appreciates and understands the need for innovation today, how do you think states can, individual states, can do a better job of attracting innovators? Well, first of all, I think you have to be in a position to want to listen to what others are saying about what their needs are and then help find a way to help them meet their needs. If you're not able to do that successfully, you won't be successful in economic recruitment. You have to make sure that you are finding a way to meet the needs of the people who are trying to relocate or expand or grow. And if you're not committed to that principle, you're not going to be successful. Do you do do you have a lot of public private partnerships that you try to engage in in the state of Alabama for the purpose of this kind of stuff? I would imagine you do. We do. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest frustrations that we had when we uh, had the opportunity to, to begin serving as a secretary of state, people who tried to create new businesses in our state were seven to nine months behind 
whenever they filed their paperwork in the courthouse of origin. And then it got to Montgomery and it would be seven to nine months before they processed the paperwork or before they actually cashed the check. And in doing that, it would delay permitting. It would delay licensing and things of that nature. But I'm delighted to tell you that we made some changes uh, using existing employees, using ideas from existing employees and team members. And for the last five years, four months and three days, we have been at same day on business filings, in spite of the fact that we're doing that with 13 less employees than were there when we started, because we're not operating at the speed of government anymore. We're operating at the speed of business. Oh, interesting. And and was it tough to get that kind of accomplishment? Because you know what it's like to try to speed up, especially when there's red tape involved and and sacred cows and yeah, you know what happens. Well, and I had a number of people tell me, don't try to change the office of the Secretary of State because the people were there when you got there, they'll be there when you leave. But what we believed was that if we will show them how improvements can benefit their lives and can make it better for everyone else, then they will want to make sure that they are also um, participating and they're making a difference there. And that's what we were able to do with that corporate buy-in from existing employees, as well as from those that have joined our team since we've been there. Sounds like you have read How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know if you've read that book, but it does. Oh, well, yes, like certainly I have. By Dale Carnegie, he is one of my favorites. Yes. Now, listen, let's talk about mentors, because on the Encouragers, whether it's our radio rally, which is our Monday night event that we do with broadcasters all across the U.S., or this event, which really focuses on innovation, and we try to get every single angle. We're so grateful that you're with us uh, to give us kind of a, a perspective from a state and how they look at innovation. Do you have mentors personally or professionally that have helped you? And can you share with us maybe a couple of examples, maybe a couple of stories about how they've changed your life? Well, absolutely. Uh, and my mentors are wide and varied. I still have a number of mentors today, people in Montgomery, people in Tuscaloosa that I rely on their guidance and their counsel, uh, their advice, uh, their direction to help me do the things that I need to do to be more effective as a leader. And one of my mentors is a gentleman named Pat Williams, who is the senior vice president of the Orlando Magic. Uh, Pat and I became friends in 2003 when we met for the first time. And I had already read a number of his books, and he's written well more than 150 books on leadership. And I only have 49 of those books. But I can tell you that each one of those books has impacted me in a very positive way. And Pat, uh, because of his service as the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers, who put together the team that won the championship in 1983 with Dr. J, Julius Irvin, Moses Malone, Andrew Tony, Maurice Cheeks, uh, Mark Ivoroni, Bobby Jones. Um, those teams were teams that set standards for excellence. And when you find somebody that's committed at that level, you see changes that can occur and people become influencers in other areas other than their their particular position of uh, prowess, whether it be athletics or politics or education or things of that nature. Uh, another person that's been a mentor to me was my former superintendent, Dr. Joyce Sellers, who has passed away. And Dr. Sellers is an individual who expected excellence from everyone. She expected you to be honest. She expected you to follow the path that she led you down uh, by simply making it clear that if you followed established board policy, she would back you 100%. And if not, then you are on your own. And I think that was a, a very important thing to note. A third person was my Congressman Bill Nichols, who I had the opportunity to work for in Washington, D.C. And the thing about Congressman Nichols and my work with him is I saw how he treated every constituent the same, whether it was an individual who uh, could aspire to be the president of the United States or through his personal interaction with the president of the United States down to a constituent who may be a garbage collector in a particular community in one of the counties that we represented. And I think that that is very important to remember that everyone is due the same level of respect and appreciation for what they bring to the table 
to make our communities whole. Well, not only that, you don't know where great ideas are going to come from or where you're going to hear the great the next great idea, right? Yes, sir. All right. So listen, I, you know, you mentioned this uh, about the, uh, some of your mentors and, and you really kind of caught us by surprise with the NBA story there for a minute. Uh, I don't think people quite understand when you are a secretary of state, how much mixing and networking and work you do in different environments and with different people. Do you meet a variety of people from different states and maybe even countries in this work? Oh, absolutely. And I've had the privilege to visit um, Mexico, Canada, Germany three times, uh, Taiwan, China twice, Russia and Israel. And to have an opportunity to interact with people from those countries to see what they do in their areas of economic development, in their areas of education, in their areas of quality of life helps better prepare me to be a stronger leader in our community here in Alabama and in our state of Alabama and in the Southeast and the United States as a whole. Wow. Well, listen, you know, I hate to bring up something that's kind of a drag for all of us, but you know this is. How have you dealt with all of your responsibilities around business with all this COVID-19 and the variants? Well, one of the things that we tried to do is to see what the immediate needs are of people who are in dire straits and then find a way to meet their needs without compromising the freedoms that everybody wants to enjoy and experience themselves. Those things are things that can separate the successful states and the successful communities from others. But people who obviously choose to err on the side of too much caution and infringing on the rights of others, that that causes concerns for everybody involved as well. Well, you've got a lot of different things going on and you, you, you see how the shutdown of our country, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to be political, but I am saying you see how the shutdown of our country, uh, you can't just turn something off like that and then expect to turn it right back on. I think we're seeing a lot of consequences in employment, especially in this area, you know, where people try to turn those businesses back on, they, they have difficulty because they can't hire people to do it, right? You're absolutely right. And when you fail to put people first, then you will be the first to fail. Well, and, and look, it's also true that it's a little bit frightening, and especially at the beginning of a pandemic, which we've not seen in our lifetime. You know, the, the last one like this in the United States was 1918. I found it really fascinating to go back and look at how people acted back then. It was not a lot different than what we're seeing right now. So uh, I, I uh, give you a lot of credit for having to walk that line and figure out what's the best thing to do. Uh, with other people that you work with in the state of Alabama, of course. Let's well, talk about the, one, yeah. Yes, sir. One of the things that's very important, though, is understanding that whatever circumstances may present themselves, you have to have a plan as to how you intend to overcome that obstacle that may be placed there. And such was the case with a pandemic. And I think what you saw is that those states that had plans and those states that were able to execute their plans were the ones that were the more successful when it came to business, when it came to industry, when it came to education. Those states that were simply responding to what occurred were the ones that had the most significant failures. Well, John, I know you've been watching the news. What surprised most of us, I think, is how many states did not have a plan. Well, you're correct, and that's because they didn't have strong leaders to begin with. And whenever you get in a position like that where you have a very limited leadership, uh, you will find that that will be exposed whenever you are in a vulnerable position, which is where they were. Right. Well, listen, I want to talk about the future a little bit, and especially the future of business and innovation in the state of Alabama. You know, nobody knows the future, but look, you're sitting in a chair that a lot of us would like to know your secrets. <laughs> so so how do you see innovation in the future of business in, in the state of Alabama? Well, you're kind to say that because we pride ourselves in being first in everything that we do, not just in college football. 
but in economic recruitment, in education, in quality of life. We have more to offer than any state in the union when it comes to quality of life issues. We have the mountains, we have the beaches, uh, we have outstanding interstate system, uh, we have uh, great communities in all 67 of our counties, and there's something for everyone in Alabama, and that's what that's one of the things that really makes Alabama extra special. Is it is it what what makes recruiting so difficult and challenging? Not just for you, but for anybody in your job in any of these fifty states, right? Well, no doubt about it. You have a very competitive environment today, where there's limited resources or limited. Um, industries that are looking to expand and to grow. And so the competition is very significant and very great where people are trying to do everything they can to ensure that they're able to get as many businesses and as much money as they can possibly get in their communities. But again, it all goes back to responding to the questions that are being asked by the people who are doing the investing. And if you do that successfully, if you meet their needs, if you respond to their questions, if you respond to their inquiries and you do that in a timely fashion and you meet the deadlines, they know that you're serious about helping them be successful. Now, John, you and I have not known each other for very long, but but look, just just knowing you for just, what, two or three weeks, whatever it is, and and getting to see your social media profile and the things that you're doing, it kind of goes back to you talking about your dad and 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 the congressman that you worked for okay earlier and how they believed in treating all people in a certain way you know usually you talk to somebody as secretary of state you'd like to ask them questions like do you see regular average people all the time because you are in a bubble sometimes and and so i will say this to you you know what advice do you give uh, the folks in alabama when they ask you about jobs i'm talking about an individual well, first of all, if you are satisfied with where you are, then that's great for you and that's great for your family. But if you're not satisfied, you need to ask yourself, what can I do to improve my opportunity for growth and development? And it's been my experience and observation that those individuals that choose to invest in themselves and their education and their leadership skills are the ones that end up being more successful in the future. I do not think that it's possible to be a good, strong leader, unless you are an outstanding reader. That is, you commit uh -huh. yourself to improving what it is that you're attempting to take in each and every day. I set a goal for myself each and every year to read a certain number of books. For 2022, I've set a goal of 50 books for the year. Last year, I read 45 books. One of the things that my friend Pat Williams says is that the research that he has conducted and that he has read has indicated that the average man will not read another book once he graduates high school. And you cannot really be an effective leader in your community if you are not reading and trying to learn more about those things that you're facing each and every day. Another thing that Pat says that his research has taught him is that if you read five books on any one particular subject, then you will be recognized nationally as a leader in that area because more people choose not to read than choose to read on any subject whatsoever. I am a voracious reader to the point where um, my wife says we have too many books. And whenever she does that, I always say, excuse me, what? I don't know what you mean. I literally don't know what you mean. You can't have too many books. Uh, I'm glad that that's a part of what you recommend. And it is shocking that uh, more people don't read more because I think you can never learn too much. Let's talk about mentoring again, but I'm going to twist it a little bit this time and yes, ask, you know, do you have time to mentor others, especially in business? Because you know so much about it. I would say that you're an expert in this area, not just because of your present job, but because of all the jobs that got you here. Well, you kind of say that. And I tell you, one of the things I made a commitment to do when I was uh, working my way up to where I am today is I made a commitment to 
ensure that every day I invested myself fully in what I was trying to do so I could be better prepared for the next opportunity when it was presented to me. And instead of finding myself uh, to be in a, a, a discouraged position or an irritated position because things might not be going my way today, I chose to look at it from the long game perspective. What can I do today that will help me be prepared for tomorrow, for next week, for next month, and for next year as I move forward? What can I do that will put me in a stronger position to make sure that I'm the leader that the Lord intends for me to be, to honor Him, and to be able to help others that I will be coming in contact with, not just today, but in the future? That's right. All right. Well, look, I don't know if this will be a pop fly question or if it will be really tough because I didn't think about it until I'm sitting here talking to you, especially when you talked about the number of people who have been Alabama secretary of state. Are there famous people that we would recognize who have held the office of Alabama secretary of state? I, I, if you're not from Alabama, I think the answer to that question would be no. And yet really? we we have had one secretary, the first secretary that I ever had the privilege to meet in person and the one that inspired me to run for the position. His name was Don Siegelman, and he served two terms in this role. He had been a secretary. He had been president of the student body at the University of Alabama in 1968. And then he was elected yeah. secretary of state in 1978. And then he served the two terms, then he was elected attorney general, then he was elected lieutenant governor, and then he was elected governor of our state. So he is the only person in the history of Alabama to serve in all four leadership roles in Alabama. Well, you know, you start being the head of student government at the University of Alabama in 1968. You've done a thing. That, <laughs> that's a thing right there. Listen, this is my last question for you here, at least yes, from, from me. Do you, and, and I'm sorry if this is unfair to ask, but I think it would be wrong if I don't. Do you, would you have other ambitions in politics as well? No, it's not wrong of you to ask that question. Uh, people ask me that question all the time. Oh, and they do. Th th yes, sir. And, uh, you know, I have other goals and ambitions and things that I would like to achieve and I would like to be impactful in the future roles that, in which I will serve. Uh, and if it's the Lord's will for me to serve in another elected capacity beyond 2022, then I certainly want to be able to do that. I want to be able to pursue those opportunities and to do it in such a way that will allow me to be more effective um, in the roles that I may have. And, and those may be in elective office and they may not be. They may be in appointed office or they may be in the private sector. I don't know. But I want to be open to doing what I need to do based on what the opportunities are. Do you be interested in things like the governorship or uh, Senate or uh, even higher office? And that may be an option at some point in the future. I don't think that it will it will not be in 2022. But if the Lord's willing and I'm able to live uh, a significant number of years from this point forward, then maybe it will be. And if so, I want to be in a position to take advantage of that. Very good. Well, John, I hope that you're going to stick around with us in case some of our folks might have a question or two for you here in just a moment. Does that sound OK? Certainly. I would be delighted to entertain any questions that may come from the listeners. All right, listen, so we launched Innovation in Audio and the Radio Rally because we, we do these two events on Clubhouse every Monday and Wednesday, both at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific, just to encourage radio, to encourage innovation, and to help encourage your career in audio and other lanes that involve innovation. But we also have special events, too. So listen up. We want you to mark your calendar and join us. If you are in the lane of sales, especially in broadcast sales, the 2022 sales liftoff planning your bigger revenue year is coming Thursday, January 13th, 2022 at 2 p.m. Eastern 
and 11 a.m. Pacific. Now, sales consultant Alec Drake, he just finished up 15 years as the director of sales at Cumulus Media in Dallas. He will join me. We're going to open up a panel of sales partners or revenue experts to discuss Q1 and Q2, by the way, recruiting, which you know is a hot topic, not just for recruiting sellers, but also as a uh, advertising uh, category. And of course, uh, we'll have a roundtable with actionable items to help you and your team grow revenue in 2022. The revenue partners for this Q1 live event are Chuck Wood and Scott Howard. Now listen up, Chuck Wood is the VP and General Manager of Delta Media Corp. It is a multimedia company comprised of seven television stations and nine radio stations in South Louisiana. And Scott Howard is the General Sales Manager of Whoa Whoa Radio, Federated Media. Now that's in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And both will have incredible things to share with us. We do these events, of course, when we do them, these live events on Clubhouse, we make it clear every single time that we don't push people to come up on stage and talk. Some people, many, actually just like to listen, and we want you to feel like this is a safe place for anybody just to do that. You can do that. You don't have to be pressured to talk, to be in front of others. We we respect your space. At the same time, if you do have a question for our guest, we want to offer you two ways to get that done right now. The first way is you can raise your hand if you look down on the app that you're listening to right now on your smartphone. Uh, you will see on the screen itself a little hand that looks like it's in front of a notebook. If you'll click on that, it will identify for us that you want to come up onto this stage. When you press it, I will bring you up onto the stage right here on Clubhouse Live. And of course, we do ask that you mute your microphone until you're called upon. If you don't want to do that, you don't want to come up on stage, you can you can shoot me a quick I am through uh, the, the app here. And of course, uh, we'll get to your question as soon as we can. Coming up uh, next Monday, January 10th, we're going to take a little trip down social media and try to teach people how to do some really interesting things. Molly Kendrick is going to be with us. She's the social media captain for CHR and Hot AC at Odyssey. And she will be here to talk to us about social media and her journey. We do uh, have somebody that I know is... Um, a great Alabama individual. Uh, I've known him for a long time. I'm going to try to bring David up to the stage and see if I can get him to ask a question of our guest. You have a question for John? Hey, uh, Lloyd. I uh, just want to say, uh, having uh, lived and worked in Tuscaloosa, that uh, John Merrill has done a great job, I think, with uh, the issues of election integrity in the state of Alabama which is obviously a pretty contentious issue across the country right now in many states. And uh, he's, he's done a really effective job, I think, of making sure that Alabama didn't end up with a situation like they've had in places like Arizona and Georgia and other controversial sta uh, states uh, after the last election. Uh, also, I want to just uh, say that uh, John also is a client of ours at Town Square Media in Tuscaloosa, he does a great job of keeping in front of the public using both radio and digital media to uh, help uh, voters understand uh, the ways to register to vote, make it uh, easy for folks to engage uh, in the, um, the ability to vote in the state of Alabama. And uh, he's effectively used our uh, media for that. And uh, we appreciate and thank him for his business. That's very good. And he's from your area, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly. John, is is that correct? That is correct. And he's very kind to say that. We have a number of partners, and Town Square is one of the top partners that we have throughout the state of Alabama. We've always looked forward to working with them, uh, using their resources to help inform people in Tuscaloosa and West Alabama about the different things that we are doing. And, and we take a lot of pride in the success that we've been able to enjoy because of those partnerships. Well, it's great when you have uh, partnerships, and certainly that would be uh, a, 
working with David and, and his people, uh, I'm sure, is an excellent uh, way to do public and private things as well. I, I do have this question from our audience. You, you've had to learn a lot to keep up with industry, business, and politics in the state of Alabama. Um, will you always want to be involved in business in the state of Alabama, John? Well, look, I think whether you want to be involved in business or you don't want to be involved in business, you're going to be involved in business one way or the other. And so it's incumbent on all of us to do everything we can to help make it easier to do business successfully in our state. And I want to be at the forefront of that. I want to be able to work with our people to make it easier to create jobs, easier to provide services, easier to provide products, easier to open new markets so that our people can gain exposure and access to the things that are important to them. Okay, okay, I'll ask this. Okay, um, so here's another one. Uh, there are 50 different states trying to draw innovators to their soil. Businesses must be attracted. They're not just going to come. Uh, deals must be made, right? What separates no doubt Ala- about it. What separates Alabama, in your opinion? Our people. There's no doubt about it. Our people are what separates us from other states in the union, and it's what enables us to be as successful as we've been able to be, and that's what enabled us to attract Mercedes-Benz. It's what enabled us to attract Nick Saban to be our head football coach. It's what enables us to be able to successfully change the direction of the future like we did when the Marshall Space Flight Center was located here in Redstone Arsenal so that we could send a man to the moon. Our people is what makes Alabama special. Well, listen, uh, you're certainly a big part of that. The state of Alabama is fortunate to have somebody like you uh, in the position that you're in today, especially with the experience that you've brought to this office and just your overall attitude. I want to thank you for being on innovation and in audio. Okay, John? Well, you're so kind to have me as your guest. And if I can ever be helpful to you, any of your listeners in any way whatsoever, I hope that they'll reach out to me in our office either at john.merrill at sos.alabama.gov or on my cell phone at 334-328-2787. Now, how many secretaries of state going to give you their cell numbers? That's awesome. <laughs> well, listen, thank you for joining us. And, and, and look, if you support our innovation in audio and you're a part of this, I just want to thank you for being with us every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for innovation in audio. Remember, if you know somebody that you would like to hear as a guest on innovation in audio, please email me, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. You can always go to our site to get all kinds of free resources, by the way, including if you are attached in any way to sales, there is a ton of powerful information that can help you have an incredible year. And that is always pro-business. I do want to say that don't forget about this. Uh, Soon after this event tonight, and I'm talking about probably within 30 minutes or so, this event will be a podcast called the encouragers innovation and audio and it will be available as it is right now Uh, all of our past episodes are archive episodes this episode will join that uh you can get that on audible you can get that on apple you can get it on spotify just about anywhere else that you can get your podcast please do remember this if you don't remember anything else tonight i'm sure john would agree with this be kinder then you have to be. Thank you for being a part of innovation and audio with the encouragers and good night.